It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 672 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have a fun guest uh, lined up for you today. Joining me is Chris Hallberg. Chris is the author of the Business Sergeant's Field Manual, subtitle Military Grade Business Execution Without the Yelling and Push-Ups. I have to admit, I love that subtitle, Without the Yelling and Push-Ups. Uh, unfortunately, Bridget, still on the injured reserve list this week and won't be able to join us today. However, she should be back in action and joining us again next week. Now, we have a new sponsor of Accelerate today. I want to welcome the Sales House. Now, if you're a regular listener to Accelerate, you know that I believe sales training is broken. I mean, it's not doing a good enough job of educating salespeople about the human element and the human aspects of sales. How to build relationships to connect with buyers, engage their interest, build trust, and inspire them to take action. So to fill that need, I built the Sales House. It's the only all-in-one sales education community for business-to-business sellers. So I want you to come experience the hundreds of hours of educational content from me and other world-class experts and join in our live coaching hours, live workshops, and in-person meetups, all designed to accelerate your sales career and take it to the next level. So to learn more, visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash 672. That's our episode number today. So that's thesaleshouse.com forward slash 672. And if you go there, you'll take it and be able to take advantage of our special $1 trial offer for listeners of Accelerate. I look forward to seeing you there. Okay, next up, my conversation with my guest, Chris Hallberg. Chris works with a lot of entrepreneurs and small enterprises to drive revenue growth. And some key points we're going to cover today. First, why you need to have a blend of sales activities. I mean, there's no magic bullet sales channel. Second, why you shouldn't tinker too much with your sales process. A really interesting perspective he has, for especially for smaller enterprises. If your sales are within an acceptable range, then find another part of your business to fix. And lastly, why it's important to have a written, consistent, repeatable sales process. We're going to talk about why so few companies actually have this documented and why it's hard to hold your people accountable if you don't. All right, so here we go. Chris Hallberg, welcome to the show. Andy, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. Great to have you here. So, as I mentioned in my introduction, Chris is the author of the book titled The Business Sergeant's Field Manual, Military-Grade Business Execution <laughs> Without the Yelling and Push-Ups, which I thought was, was great. Do they still, in the military, there's still a lot of yelling and push-ups going on, or is that sort of like our, our uh, retrograde view of, of the way it is? No, there's still lots of yelling, lots of push-ups. Uh, a lot of other things have changed, but those those things remain. Okay. Well, that's probably a reason for it, right? Yeah. I mean, the the yelling represents a stressful situation and mm-hmm. how to respond to – usually there's three or four drill sergeants yelling at the same time. Right. And then the push-ups are a great way to correct uh, behaviors that they don't like and strengthen the body, which is important for any soldier to have uh, good good strength to, to be able to carry the load. Well, yeah, so maybe maybe we should bring yelling back into business. I mean, it seems, yeah. to, it seems to have gone, I'm, I'm saying this facetiously, I mean, I've worked for yellers in the past. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was, I was always slightly bemused by them. <laughs> well, I think it loses the effect after a while. If you're always yelling, yeah. uh, what, are, what, are, what are people supposed to stop and take note of? You, you whispering? I mean, uh, how does that work? So I think, uh, I think a little emotion in business is okay. It's okay to be passionate. It's, it's okay to be pissed. But uh, I always look for the uh, motives behind those reactions and, mm-hmm. and call those out and say, hey, is that coming from a healthy place? Well, 
you know, are, are you just upset or are you generally upset that we're not executing because you care so much or are you just upset, you know? That, or are that, you that, just that, upset we're not, we're not paying attention to you or something? There you go. Yeah. Are you throwing a fit or, or is this a, a good place for what I call business theater? Uh, and there's, there's an opportunity to, to have uh, some emotion come into the room. But to, to your point, if, if, if you work for a yeller, everyone just kind of rolls their eyes and it, it literally has no effect. And it is kind of amusing for everyone around. Yeah. Well, I, I always thought it was amusing. I saw so us on this this company had been acquired by another company and the, the president of the acquiring company was a yeller. And um, so I was supposed to, I was in California, they were on the East Coast. I was supposed to every month go back to the East Coast for executive management meetings. And I, I just got in the habit of scheduling my trips out of the country during that time. <laughs> that's, how, that's how you worked around it. Yeah. Well, eventually they caught on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They said, you know, if, yeah, if you want to be a part of the team, then you're going to start coming. It's like, all right, I'm out of here. All right. So um, I want to talk about several things in your book because there are some things and you talk about things more than just about sales, but we're going to focus more on the sales aspect of things because of the audience, but some entrepreneurial. So and you and you wrote something I think is really overlooked by, by a lot of entrepreneurs is that they don't do a very good job of managing sales. And... You would think, gosh, you start a business because you're passionate about something or a product, and and oftentimes you do find sort of the founder entrepreneur is is oftentimes the best advocate. But I found, and in, in my work, and I'm sure you've seen this in yours as well, is is almost as many times as you get that founder that's just like, you know, yeah, I don't want anything to do with sales, right? And I, I sort of see this, I see this oftentimes I think sort of reflected in when you look at sort of the. Uh, the online marketing followings that people get and everything that sort of says, hey, here's an easy way to generate business that doesn't involve actually talking to a customer. Right? I mean, you look at, uh, I mean, I love the content of Social Media Examiner, Michael Stelzner. They do a great job. Hundreds of thousands of members. There's nobody in sales that has anything near that following. <laughs> and I think it's people say, well, that's, that's easier, right? I, if I can just invest money there and I don't have to go talk to somebody. And so it sort of plays that when they hire sales managers, like, yeah, just go do that, and you know, I'll leave you alone. And that leads to problems. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of shifts in selling, marketing. You know, I would say, you know, two areas of business that have changed more in the last five or six years than really anything else is how to acquire leads, you know, how to capture them, and mm -hmm. then how to convert convert them. And you know, the days of smiling and dialing, you know, two hundred coldies a day, and you know, grinding it out. I mean, you can still do that, but the effectiveness of that is. A fraction of what it was, you know, you know, even you know, ten years ago. But as we evolve uh, as business people, you know, so do our uh, sales funnels, channels, marketing, uh, inbound marketing is great. Uh, but it's it's kind of managing the sales process by exception is really what it is. So you know, when somebody raises their hand and said, "Hey, I love your blog. I, I heard you on a podcast. I want to work with you," they're ready to buy. There's really no selling. You're you're really inside sales at that point, uh, and 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 that that. That, that's really lazy uh, for salespeople just to catch hot opportunities, and there's not a lot of skill to convert those. But Well, I think there know. can be. It depends on the product you're selling. But yes, I yeah, agree. Okay, okay. If it's a little absolutely. more transactional, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So but my experience, you know, being a you know a leadership coach, and, you know, the, the, it, there's, it's really, I've really gotten quite lazy. But at the end of the day, um, you know, coaching clients and looking at their you know, common issues that they're facing in the marketplace, you know, this quarter, you know, uh, last quarter, recent examples. And we talk through these things. And the reality is you still have to 
get make the phone ring. That's the market marketer's job, uh, and the salesperson's job is to take that inquiry and convert it to a paying client. So the game uh, high level hasn't changed. Just the how it works. Uh, there are different ways to do it. So yeah, yeah, you have to have a funnel that has multiple sales activities. You can't just rely on inbound. You have to put some, you know, shoes on the street still, but you, you use each kind to kind of support each other. Yeah, nor can you rely purely on outbound either. Um, right, right. I mean, I know companies that do, but I mean, and but it, yeah, it really is a mix that works works the best. And as I say, I, I, to me, it's it's utopia if you're. In sales, and you get enough high-quality, targeted leads <laughs> that you don't have to prospect. That'd be great, but Utopia has never arrived, as far as I know. And even companies like HubSpot and others that that you know built on inbound marketing when they're doing their enterprise sales, they're they're doing a mix of activities. They're doing proactive and and inbound. So uh, I think it's really the right the right mix for companies. But getting back to the point we were making earlier is that the the entrepreneur, the CEO, the owner has to be comfortable in being engaged at the right level with the right balance in that whole that whole activity. And I think this is, you know, as look at sort of failure points that I see with entrepreneurial small mid-sized enterprises as they're trying to scale. A lot of times the limitation is that the CEO, on the other hand, is too involved in sales. And I remember one client going in, this is not a sole example, but just purpose of illustration is you know, I calculated. I was doing a review of his and of his sales activities. It was one of the first thing I did, and yeah, he was involved in nearly two thirds of every deal. I mean, he wasn't yeah. the account person, but he he had significant involvement in almost two thirds of every order that was signed. And it, was, and it wasn't until he realized that, and I made him step back, that the company started growing again. Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's an old saying: the um, the bottleneck is always at the top of the bottle. That's a great example right there. Oh, that's a great saying. Oh, I'd never heard that. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. But that is but that is an example. And so that was sort of the the counterexample to the one where another client, as an example, is went in and CEO just didn't want anything to do with sales, right? I mean, hired VP of sales to run it. And also to a point you made in the book about um, keeping people on well past their expiration dates is – yeah, the the sales VP sort of did that, and Montemore thought, "Yeah, I've got complete trust in this person," but it wasn't really happening. And since CEO wasn't involved, the VP of sales wasn't making it happen, and everybody got sort of comfortable, as happens all the time, and they just sort of muddled along. Yeah, and then the, then again, those sales tactics or techniques that used to be effective are no longer effective, and there's new techniques again with that blend of sales activities. I find that if there's an old guard sales VP and they're resistant to change or the evolution that we're facing in, in sales and marketing today, then you know th- their expertise is no longer expert. And uh, usually it takes a year or two for everyone to figure that out. And at that point, there's a huge trough in their funnel and they're back in the third world you know, with, with a, a pipeline that wasn't what they're used to, wasn't what their you know burn rate or their spend is and then there's so i, I the phone rings like i get that call once in a while like hey uh, we we used to be really good at sales and marketing and all of a sudden it's it things have dried up and we don't know why and then you go in and ask a few questions and that's exactly why is that they just haven't migrated 
or evolved and the market has kind of left them behind. Yeah, well, that that speaks to a point that that you had in in the book that I was going to ask you about because, yeah, I sort of disagreed with it. So I'll bring it up, which was, you know, you're saying basically, hey, once you've you've got your sales process or figured out and so on is, you know, don't get too fussy with it. Don't overly tweak it and so on because, hey, it works. There's other things you could spend your time and effort on. And to the point we were just making, though, before is is the way the pace of change is so rapid that I find that if if a sales organization isn't going through this process maybe twice a year, at least once a year, if not twice, I recommend twice, of sort of saying, yeah, we're let's assume we have hit a little bit of a trough. What would we do then? And go through this exercise of sort of looking at everything from scratch again. And I have a process. I I give people a little blueprint that over a course of five days, just make sure you're on track again, right? right. Make sure that you you, know, you talk to your customers, you talk, do the lost business review, you reassess all your salespeople, look at your processes, and then put your 90-day plan together, as you talked about. And I think do that proactively twice a year, you're going to miss or miss some of the downturns, actually, which I think is really positive. Right, yeah. And and just for clarity on that, you know, my, my thoughts in the book were if it's at an acceptable level, meaning you're happy with it, you know, your your sales funnel is 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 in parity with your ability to execute onboarding mm. those clients and satisfying those clients. If it's in a range that's acceptable, my comment was don't muddle with it. If it's okay, find another part of your business because the business is is a holistic body. The sales sure. is the oxygen or the blood, you know, or whatever analogy you want to go here. But there are other parts of the body, you know, they need constant maintenance. And if you look at a business, just like your your body, it's the total body. Mm-hmm. One part of it's not working and your overall health isn't well. So uh, I wasn't saying, you know, uh, don't mix it up. Uh, don't don't, <laughs> well, don't stay with the, the new stuff. But, but I find that people over tinker and they A-B test so many different things. I They're in a that. constant yes. state of test. And they're not able to actually find something and 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 really extract the maximum value from what they created because of that constant flux. So I, that's right. what I was trying to communicate. Uh, well, not, I agree with that yeah. part. I think that you know you do your quarterly business reviews, but you set aside let's say at least once a year, you're going to do this deep dive, whether you think you need it or not. Because if you uh, don't yeah. do it, I guarantee you will need it within about another quarter or two. And that's this is the pattern I see with companies: is who those that don't do it proactively. They get complacent. Yeah, I mean, a great sales leader is going to have something in in spec means I don't need to completely change this machine. But as I spot patterns and trends within the quarters mm-hmm. and start to see things that used to work not work, um, now it's out of spec, and now it's time to you know go go to school and you know try some different things um, as needed, as prescribed, if you will. Yeah. Well, I said what I prescribe is this five-day five day blueprint. You know, first day you spend two hours calling existing customers because people lose touch really quickly with why people are buying their products and services. And right. they, they don't ask. They don't know a lot they of don't times. Ask. A, lot of, so, a lot of times they don't want to know. They just So at the most senior level, you know, the sales VP or if it's the entrepreneur who's running sales, you're going to spend you know, part of a day making eight calls to customers. And then the next day, you're going to talk to about the same number of those deals, either customers you lost or deals you lost. Because mm-hmm. then you start understanding. Because otherwise, you, everything's being filtered through through the salespeople or through the CRM system, which is problematic and best, right? 
Yeah. And then the third day, you assess your people again. Fourth day, you'd look at your process and look at all your metrics and say, okay, do we have the right vital factors we're measuring or not? And then fifth day, take all the input and say, okay, how would that change our plan over the next 90 days? Yeah, I could see going through that process annually, if not biannually, to your point, yeah. uh, for the sales leader. Yes. And that's that's how they would keep their numbers exactly. with it back right exactly. there. So I think we're in violent agreement on this one. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just <laughs> I phrased it that way for entertainment value. So um, <laughs> good. So uh, we got one other point we'll talk about though too that that uh, a little bit later. But so but you had two or but there are two things I think another cautionary tales for sales leaders or founders entrepreneurs. Um, really, sort of three. I mean, you talk about never hire your best salesperson as your sales manager, which hopefully people understand that message by now. Uh, but the other one that you talked about, which was to me really resonated, and because I talk about this all the time, is that you said uh, probably 60% of the companies you work with don't have a, a documented or consistent or repeatable sales process. And to me, that means they haven't documented it. Um, about five, six years ago, I sur- surveyed a number of companies, about 350 companies, small businesses, and the number was 72% did not have a documented sales process. In fact, one of the options I gave them was we just make it up as we go along, and 45% said we just make it up as they go along. That's, that's a problem, and I think companies don't really understand that. So, so talk about how you work with companies to help them define that consistent, repeatable process. Yeah, so I'll start asking a lot of questions to the sales leader. I work with the CEO and their leadership team, so mm-hmm. head of sales, head of marketing, head of ops, head of finance, you know, senior leadership. And... Uh, you know, I'll ask, how do you get your leads? How, how do you convert them? And after a bunch of questions, uh, different data points throughout several days together, basically, so you're just making it up. You're getting lucky. <laughs> you're, you know, help me understand this. Uh, Nothing wrong with luck, but luck's not a repeatable process. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, and when really, really, when we look into it, and it's like, well, it's just kind of worked that way. It's not working that way as much as it used to. But, you know, we got good people. I think we're going to be okay. So there's a lot of hope. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, wishing, uh, and 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 when you really discover that there is no repeatable sales process, and again, in a fast-moving market where, you know, things uh, move quickly, um, that's a problem. So so just identifying that, yeah, we're a little weak on process. Um, you know, we've got a couple of great salespeople. We'll just copy what they're doing, and a lot of times that's the attitude. And normal salespeople can't necessarily emulate you know, very top talented, five, 10% salespeople. So uh, there's a lot of assumptions that happen in sales management and uh, a a company. uh, So I always ask, how are you going to scale that? Great. I I get that works at 20 million, but I'm here to help you get to 50 million. Mm -hmm. So explain how your philosophy scales to 50 million. And then I'll just be quiet and smile. And it's usually a pretty short conversation with, okay, great. Let's start on documenting our sales process. Let's Let's back what you said uh, just a few minutes ago, Andy. You know, let's talk to the deals we didn't get. Let's talk to the deals that are leaving us. Let's talk to the deals we did get. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let let's take all of that information from our ecosystem, if you will, and listen for some commonality. And if the deals we're not getting are all saying the same two or three things, we should probably address that right now in our sales presentation. And and I'll even say, great that that was a that was a previously a weakness. Let's double down on this and not just get you up to to spec. Right. Let's find a way to message that that inflection point that seems to be hot and sticky for those people. And let's make it a plus for you. Let's make that uh, thing that used to be weak now a strength. And then you can use that against, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, your competitors, right. uh, and, 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 and Jedi mind trick them into, <laughs> no, I'm now over there. And, and that's what ends up happening. And, and that's what ends up being uh, effective a lot of the times. Yeah, well, I think one of the reasons, the primary reasons that you see in smaller companies that they don't document the sales process is, you know, it's, it's this inflection point, as you said, sometimes as a matter of function of growth, is when you document it, you are suddenly holding people accountable for it. And everybody sort of likes that early stage of a smaller company where everybody's contributing and we're growing and we're sort of doing their own thing, but only takes you to a certain point, and then you have to start having some process. But if you have process, then people have to be held accountable for what they're doing. And that starts with the sales manager. It goes to the salespeople themselves. So you get this passive resistance pushback against that. And you have to get past that as as an entrepreneur can really insist on, especially if you're not as involved, is is really insist on this this you know documentation, definition of your your processes. And definition of metrics or key performance indicators against it because you're not going to be able to grow without that. Yeah, and I think the key word there uh, is having process is one thing. Holding people accountable, that's a totally separate issue. And I see, you know, of those 72% that don't have a sales process, I'd wonder about the uh, the minority percent that does. How well, is, you know, is that really enforced? Uh, so, So I find that a very small percentage mm-hmm. of businesses have a process and truly hold each other accountable to it. So that's that sales management function where, um, you know, it's completely different than selling sales management. And, and this is what vexes a lot of people and they don't get it. And that's again, why they promote their highest producing rep or, you know, the marketing person. Well, why don't you, or this, a lot of times I see, Oh, you're the sales VP. Well, you're the sales and marketing VP. Well, that particular executive doesn't really know anything about marketing. So then they're having to manage people in marketing. They don't really understand. Or, or you have a marketing person in charge of the conversions and they know how to make the phone ring, but not how to, to, to get new clients. So it, it comes down to that management function of separating kind of church and state, having process for both sales and both marketing, but not conflating the two because they're very, very different and have different objectives. Right. And then having different, uh, you know, processes and KPIs, you know, scorecard measurables, whatever you want to call right. them. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of the work that I do in my coaching is I, you know, install EOS or the entrepreneurial operating system. Mm-hmm. That's that operating system that allows you to put your arms around your whole business. And inside of that system, you know, my good friend and, and mentor, the author of Traction and the creator of EOS, Gino Wickman, his philosophy is, hey, let's just measure the act. Forget about the results. If you're just looking at the results, it's already too late. It's like getting a stock tip. The, the move already happened. You're, you're, you're dead money on that. Well, Instead, right. What are the human activities right. that generate the business result? You know, exactly. how, how many calls, how many emails, you know, how many face-to-face meetings, you know, how many uh, people, you know, we have this technology. You can see who's opening your emails. You can see how many pages they looked at. If somebody opens up 12 pages, you know, of your sales material, um, you should call them. You know, they mm-hmm. want to be called. No one spends 12 pages on anything unless there's a high level of interest. So there's a great example of, uh, the flag just came over on your CRM. Somebody's, you know, heavily immersed in your in, in what you're selling. Uh, you should find a way to contact them literally right as they're doing that. Have a conversation, move for a next step versus letting that one opportunity pass sure. and hoping to email you or hit the contact us button, which is a much smaller percentage. Yeah. And and for most small companies, it's even more fundamental than seeing if it's going to hit, you know, get a lead score pop up in your CRM system because... Quite frankly, most small businesses 
you know, aren't operating at that level, but have some sort of level of but they could and well, but yeah, it could be could something operate as, with a much smaller team. Sure, but it could be something as simple as technology standpoint from an, you know, an email tracking program, right? You could use Yesware yeah, yes. or one of those applications. Start there. Yeah, make sure you're using something, right? I, I think too often, you know, companies are taking that step. Oh, we need a CRM system. They jump into a CRM system and have a pretty bad implementation of it. Where what they really want to do is sort of you know, track email open and <laughs> opens. You know, you you can get notified every time somebody opens that email or every time they look at the attachment, or which page they're looking at. Just start start with something simple first and make that yeah. work for you. Absolutely, yeah. You you don't have to spend five grand a month on a killer CRM that 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 tells you everything, uh, especially stuff you don't even need to know. Uh, what you need are tools to leverage kind of exactly. what you do need when you need them. And the neat thing about our current and operating environment in 2018 is there's an app for everything and a lot of them are $10 a month and and will do what you need them to do. Yeah. Well, there's a danger in that though too. I mean, you do have to make sure you don't have too many of the apps because, you know, right now there's... They have to work together, yes. Well, now you work together, but they there has to be a purpose and you're finding now there's, there's one survey I saw of reps and inside sales organizations in the tech space, I think it's like they're averaging 11 apps they were using. <laughs> and But the thing was, the management team thought they were only using five. So, yeah, yeah there's this huge disconnect there. But but some are fundamental and small businesses, you know, I've talked about this in the program before, is, is start with something. Start start small. Start modest. You know, find a tool. So I think the first place everybody should start is an email tracking program. It's so simple. Uh, your yeah. sales reps are going to use it. You can use templatized emails. You can use it for your proactive outbound. And then you can see how people are engaging with your content. Very, these are $5, $10 a month per seat. I mean, virtually nothing. And I would have killed for that intelligence when I was carrying a bag. I mean, years and years ago, even before email. Um, you know, it, it, you, I can't see how you do without it. I mean, I still use them today. I mean, it's, it's simple if you're a salesperson. Until you've called somebody while they're looking at your email, you just don't understand how it works. It's like they're like, wow, I was just literally looking at your email. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, the other thing that, that you didn't address specifically, and I'm not critiquing it, but I, I'm sure you've seen it because I wanted to bring it up because to me this is in smaller companies is one of the biggest impediments to growth is, is – there's a heavy concentration of accounts in the hands of like the first one or two salespeople into the company. And, and I've come in situations where there's, you know, one person had over 50% of the accounts and two things happening there. One is you're starving all the other people you've hired of opportunities to, to really succeed. I mean, three things happening Two is you're not really servicing those accounts efficiently anyway. Right. Um, and you've taken, the person who at the time that you hired him up front was your most effective new account person, new business person, and turned him into an account manager. So you've taken him out of the field, effectively taken him out of the field, him or her out of the field. So I sort of, you know, I have seen that many, many times with clients. One of the first things I actually I sort of thought was sort of triggered because I saw some, I know, a couple of listservs that I track in sales this week, I saw people sort of raising the issue, you know, how do you reallocate accounts and so on. I just wonder if you had any experiences in that. Yeah, so I, th- I think you nailed it. You know, so my military training said that you can only directly supervise so many people well. So the army, you know, has this long-standing rule of maximum of seven direct reports. So mm-hmm. 
you're a four-star general, you might have three three-star generals. And that, that kind of happens all the way down to, you know, millions of, 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 of service uh, members. Uh, so if that uh, once unicorn level business development person, you know, a, a really good hunter, uh, and then you say, okay, here's a shovel and some overalls, you're now a farmer. Uh, first off, uh, is that really how they're wired? Uh, do they long for the days of the hunt and now they're saddled with a very well? I don't, I don't think I, what happens is they don't get saddled. You know, you don't give them that instruction. What I see in companies, it just evolves that way, right? Because no, they, cause well, they don't want the they want they want to give it up because the money's pretty easy at that point. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You, yeah. And you had somebody that had the skill to acquire new clients. And that, so the, this is the whole hunter versus farmer thing. This has been going on for, you know, forever in sales. And, and the reality is um, account management is not only retention and growth, land and expand those clients, mm-hmm. right? There is a sales function of great account management. When you're crushing it on site, uh, they want to buy more from you. You can find opportunities where they need more of your help. Uh, because you're, you once you're doing great work, they're, they're very open. It's, it costs almost nothing to sell to an existing client compared to exactly. you know, acquiring a new one. So if, if in that situation, what I'd recommend, um, and you know, this advice isn't always well received is, Hey, yeah, that person doesn't need 74 accounts. They need, let them pick the 25 best accounts they want, all ones that they've won long-term relationships, mm-hmm. but let's free up some time for them to get some referrals outside of those industries and go out and have a healthy blend of, you know, acquiring new clients at a higher commission rate. And then you still have this comfortable, you know, uh, farm, uh, this field that grows kind of on its own uh, with just regular uh, rain and sunlight, you know, it doesn't require a ton, but then you have uh, the, the time to go find new clients and expand the ones you have versus just having too many and just being responsive or reactive. So, what growth are you really having if you're just responding to opportunities as they happen well, versus having the time to go in and really uh, find, look under some rocks, uh, turn on the lights in some dark areas? Uh, I find that's usually where the, the best expansion is in clients is, is the, the deep, the second or third layer of the onion mm-hmm. is, is where it gets good. But again, you have to, you have to uh, execute for the first couple of layers to even be there. So yeah, it, it, it's, it, that, that's a, that's an argument that does come up and it really comes down to is, Hey, what if that individual decided to leave and take, you know, 40, 50% of those accounts with them and start their own firm or to join your biggest competitor or it, you're, it, it's just like, um, well, that, but that's, that's what 10% of your revenue with one customer, the tail starts to wag the dog. So it, you, you need to defray that risk and uh, that level of performance across a larger cross section of salespeople. And that that's a lot safer and, and uh, less, uh, uh, you know, whiplash from one end to the other. Well, I mean, if you're a small business CEO or owner, and you have that situation, you've got, you know, one sales rep, the sort of the big dog that has you know, preponderance of the accounts and and you're not acting because they have somewhat subtly or not subtly threatened they're going to take the accounts. Just let them go. People people may buy from people, but ultimately they're buying from companies, right? I mean, they, yeah. they bought, they may like that sales rep, but they bought your product and service because it helped them achieve their objectives, their goals. I've never seen an instance where any company has lost any substantive amount of business, substantial amount of business from you know, a top rep leaving and going to another company, even in the same industry. I mean, 
customers don't look at them the same when they come wearing a different different badge. You know, it's like, oh, you're with them now? Yeah, the relationship isn't the same. As much as people want to say this whole idea in the past about hiring a Rolodex, I never did that. I mean, so yeah, if you're in that situation, you got to rep you know, all these accounts. It's, if they're not going to play ball, say goodbye. It's not going to hurt. It may hurt for a little bit, but it'll be yeah, much better soon. Yeah, it's generally going to hurt a lot less than you think. And I would I would take that same statement and put it across the entire company that I find that we have this person, they're okay, they're not horrible, uh, they do provide some value. We understand it's not as good as the others, but you know uh, we'll keep them around because that's somewhat profitable or it's acceptable versus the mindset again of 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 you know spreading that around having a strong organization so if somebody does leave it would just be a blip an anomaly it not a um 87 of my accounts are with this one rep and if they go i could lose 15 20 for a small business you would definitely see that and i have seen situations where the the sales unicorn uh someone that has been you know uh, protected and coddled and spoon-fed does leave and that does change the business and there are layoffs and I've seen it happen. It's rare. You're right about that. But I've I've been through that with clients, and it's brutal. So so just like I would coach a client not to have any customers that make up more than ten mm-hmm. percent of their revenue, I would also push to make sure that you're not overly dependent on any one particular sales rep. Because to your point, it's the it's what the company is what we sold you into. We still have to do that. And if we do that well and we provide value to that customer, anyone can leave. They, they, they want what you're doing for them, to Absolutely. your point. Absolutely. And I agree. And I agree. But it's always a good idea uh, to not get overly dependent on any one uh, customer or, or salesperson. Sure. Because what it, happens it with the salespeople? Because they're the only person, only salesperson, and the company grows around them. And so they say, well, I'm going to naturally hold on to all these accounts that I had, and everybody else grows. And then, yeah, these people aren't getting a fair shake at some good accounts, right? And you say some people say, "Oh, they should be able to go out and develop good accounts." Well, true, but you know, you need to be equitable. And if you're a, you know, listening to this and you're a sales leader in a smaller business, and you think, you know, here's my asset test. You know, if you get a, a lead, you consider a really good lead. If you don't have a round robin system where you're equitably distributing leads and you steer the lead to one person. You got a problem. You got a problem. Yeah, you're, you, you're only as strong as your weakest link, and it absolutely. sounds like you've got one strong link and a bunch of weak links. So net effect. I mean, so let's go back to greater good, mm-hmm. right? Sales leader is is here to uh, provide, you know, sales value to the greater good, not to serve individuals. Mm-hmm. Nor should individuals on teams have it be about me. So it's we over me and. And, and the other thing I would say is like, hey, this is a great lead. I really want this, but I can't give it to you because you're not very good. I have to give it to this person. Well, that's just a training and failure or hiring by the sales leader. Exactly. If you can't spit your leads out to all of your salespeople who are considered active or ready to receive leads, then that's really the issue. Uh, not, not the... Uh, uh, I know this person can close at 5% higher. So any large account, I'll do that. So the best salespeople get the best leads. That's been going on since the beginning of time. You know, the first rocker club that was sold in oh, sure. caveman <laughs> times, right? They, they gave the best club to the best, whoever could swing it the best, you know? Uh, so so I, a lot of that basic human activities, you know, behavior is going to happen. 
But to your point, there's another issue there, right? You know, so Mm -hmm. it's interesting uh, when you talk about some of these behaviors uh, and what you think is going on is not really what's going on. What's going on is there's a failure in process or equitable distribution of leads or training or, you know, just pure out sales competency. And, Mm -hmm. And we end up not fixing the weakness, we end up just giving the lead to the strong salesperson because we have numbers to hit. Exactly. And then something else happens and then we're unnecessarily weakened and then things go down this way. And that's, I see that happen quite, quite a bit because, you know, I get the call, I help businesses execute, uh, just, just plain out execution. But if you have a sales, a marketing problem, a funnel problem, uh, a sales conversion problem, we're now in the third world because the revenue has stopped. We have all these employees. Everyone is panicking because their cash is burning. And it's really hard to, to help a company with limited resources. And, uh, you know, we have to start over and retool their entire sales organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, As true. you know, Andy, that, that doesn't happen in an afternoon or a quarter. That, yeah. that, is, that is something if you find yourself on the wrong side of it, it is going to be a long, longer than you think slog to just to get back to zero. And um, I get a lot of those calls and I have to bring in somebody like yourself um, <laughs> You know that could come in and, and work in parallel while I help get the right people in the right seats, and and re- get everyone to recommit to the to the to the new vision. And you know, usually, um, you know, it takes six months, nine months, a year in every one of those instances to, to get sure. their pipeline back and, yeah. and get converting. Yeah, certainly take that, a year. That's a year of pain for everyone else in the organization. Uh, for uh, for for that's the price for getting a little complacent uh, for, for a little bit uh, with those uh, exact circumstances that you listed. Yeah, and that's why that blueprint I talked about can help people overcome that and avoid that because you'll start surfacing these issues and and you just have to address them, right? It's, uh, I'm sure you deal with this all the time in your businesses. You know, people shy away from the tough discussions, the tough decisions because things are going okay. But, you know, if you really want them to go well and achieve the things you want to achieve, then those tough discussions have to take place. Yeah. And that's my job is to basically force those tough discussions because no one wants to have them. But as soon as I sniff anything that, that could be problematic, that's, that's my job is to, is to raise it up and, and, you know, basically put it up there, tee it up for someone to hit it. And then that usually just gets the conversation started. And yeah. once it's started, then it goes to a, usually a pretty healthy place. Sure. But it's just like uh, the first step of getting in shape is showing up to the gym. It, it, once you're there, the workout's kind of easy, you know, but leaving your, your comfortable couch uh, to the car to the gym is usually where it doesn't happen. Just like uh, dealing with difficult issues, uh, it's uh, someone has to have the uh, intestinal fortitude uh, to stick their neck out there. And a lot of times, if you don't have strong layers, uh, levels of team health, uh, and it's okay to say, I don't know, uh, instead, it's... I have to pretend like I got this, even though I know I don't have this, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a problem as well. So, so I think teams that are able to, to discuss things uh, and, and be critical of their operations, even when things are going well, uh, uh, that way, when things aren't going well, it won't be such an affront to have these uncomfortable conversations. Exactly. So, I, so I think, 
having uncomfortable conversations, uh, those are the best meetings uh, possible. If, if you're not a little uh, uh, squirmy in this one, uh, we didn't we didn't do it right. You know, that, that's that's my fault. <laughs> we didn't dig deep enough, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. If 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 if, you, if this is just an every easy breezy day in the park, yeah. why am I here? I'm I'm here to really get to the root of this, and that might involve you being really uncomfortable for the next ten minutes. Sorry, but again, greater good. Yeah. Let, let's problem so we can all win the game all right well perfect well chris unfortunately we've run out of time so uh, thank you for coming and my tell pleasure. folks how they can connect with you yeah uh, my website is www.bizsgt.com and if people want to learn more about eos or this operating system uh that website is tractioninc.com mm-hmm. that's right Gina Wickman and a couple of books he's written or more than a couple. He's written a whole yeah, series of books. Yeah, he's got five now. And yeah. his, his, his website, if you want to get directly with Gino, is www.eosworldwide.com. Traction Inc. is my independently owned and operated EOS implementation firm. And I have some other implementers uh, that work with me. And uh, part of our process is identifying sales weakness. But uh, we don't coach that. We, we call people like Andy Paul in uh, <laughs> well, and, thank you. And, help, and help out with that. All right. Well, good. Well, Chris, have a great weekend. Thank you, too. All right. Thank you, Chris. Friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Chris Hallberg. Join me again next week as I'm joined by Vince Bees. Vince is CEO of Sales at Scale. And we're going to have a really interesting talk about deal prediction. Vince has developed a methodology to predict whether any particular deal is going to close just by asking five questions. And it's not the probabilities predicting, just that binary answer, is this deal going to close or not? So make sure you come back and check that out. As I mentioned earlier in the program, don't forget to visit the sales house. Look for our special $1 trial offer. You'll find that again at thesaleshouse.com forward slash 672. That's today's episode, 672. Thanks also again to our sponsor, Discover Org, for their ongoing support of Accelerate. And thank you again for joining me. Until next week, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.